Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. My co-host is Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, how's it going? It's going good, Pat. Uh, I'm going to kind of cut my uh, witty intro short this week here because uh, I think we're both really excited about this episode we have and we want to get to our guests pretty quickly, right? Yep. Um, so today we have a Clemson offensive lineman, Matt Bockhorst, joining us. Uh, Matt, I'm going to brag about you for a second and give a little introduction so, uh, so you don't have to do it yourself. Uh, so Matt uh, is an offensive line for Clemson who's now appeared in 40 games for the Tigers, including 13 starts. Uh, started all 12 games last season. An all-ACC offensive lineman, a Clemson graduate, a national champion. It has been a part of teams with four consecutive playoff appearances and four consecutive ACC championships. Matt, how's it going, man? It's going very well. I'm uh, very glad to be here, and uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so me and Matt go way back. Uh, back before I used to still have hair. Uh, we uh, we know Sorry. each other. Matt was a recruit. This was what thirty five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Pat. Thanks. <laughs> um, you know, Matt, I, I kind of want to talk about you about kind of just uh, what you've seen uh, in terms of the growth from the Clemson program over your career. Um, for guys who don't know, um, you have a pretty interesting background. I think your timeline, especially with how things went with Clemson, is pretty fascinating, right? I mean, you you uh, committed to Clemson. I think it was about three weeks after their uh, first national championship loss to Alabama in January 16. Um, you signed with them a few weeks after their first title win under Dabo uh, or Coach Sweeney <laughs> in their rematch game there. And, uh, you know, you picked them over offers from Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, a whole slew of kind of other teams around the country. Um, and like we went over there, you, you've had some pretty incredible accomplishments in your time so far with Clemson. Um it's a pretty broad question, but with all the things you guys have done so far, the national title, all the playoff appearances, what do you have left to accomplish your redshirt senior year, man? What are you looking forward to still doing? No, you said it all. I mean, it's been uh, everything I could have asked for and more. Uh, you said it yourself. I think hailing from Big Ten country, I think uh, me coming to Clemson was a little bit unorthodox uh, by many opinions. And I think uh, especially committing early to Clemson, uh, a lot of people expected me to wait on schools like Ohio State and Notre Dame. But, um, you know, for me, I just kind of knew what I wanted. I, I recognized the culture that Clemson had established. And, and even though when I committed, they really hadn't quite gotten over that hump yet, um, I saw what was coming. And, and I really appreciated um, the approach that was taken by Coach Sweeney and everyone that was in the program. But for me personally, um, you know, there's there's certainly been some accolades. Uh, number one, first and foremost, I've already graduated. Congratulations. Um, so th- thank you. It's uh, That was certainly a big box to check, uh, as it is for anybody. Um, so I'm currently now pursuing uh, my MBA, which is a great opportunity. Um, so that's definitely a big box to be checked, like I said. But you know, football-wise, I think um, my attitude going into this season is that it's just the last go-around. And um, as much as my experience here at Clemson has been nothing short of amazing and we've won a lot of big games and we've won the big one once, um, I think that for me personally, the past two years, the way the season has ended um, is not what I wanted. And I know that my teammates would say the same. So um, that's the big thing is just finishing the season how we want it. And when you're at a school like Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State, um, any of the big name schools, you you want to win the national championship, um, and that's much easier said than done, uh, as as many would of course. Attest. But um, so that that's that. And then you know, as far as accolades go, I think that as I've gone through my career, um, I've learned that 
accolades are great and they're it's a it's a way to be validated for all your hard work and and i think each of us has an opinion of who we are as a person and as a player but sometimes it's nice to hear it from other people um and so that's great but at the same time as you know, I've seen a lot of people get snubbed for some accolades too. And so I never want to be the guy that's focused on getting all conference or all American or wherever it may be. Um, you know, my biggest focus is just winning the day every day. And, uh, especially for me with aspirations to make it to the NFL, it's just controlling how well I play each week. Um, and just the consistency aspect of it. And for an offensive guard, a offensive center, whatever I, end up as this season mm -hmm. uh you know you have to be a consistently physically dominant player um so that's really my emphasis going into this year is just how consistent can i be and how dominant can i be and you touched on it there man like you said um it's the last go around you know it's your it's your redshirt senior season um what do you think i guess are the unique challenge this year with being a senior leader and especially because um correct me if i'm wrong here but i think a lot of people might say this could be the youngest team that you've played on so far in your time at Clemson. And you and you have a key role in kind of leading not just the offensive line, but the offense and the team as a whole, right? Um, so I guess what are the challenges for that kind of coming into 2021? Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's certainly a younger group. I think I look back to my first couple years here at Clemson and I had the opportunity to be surrounded by some phenomenal leaders. I think a lot of people would point to guys like Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Farrell and that that group of seniors that led us to the national championship in 2018. Um, and now I look up in a team meeting and I'm sitting in the front row and, and there's young guys that are looking up to me as the old, the old guy, which is crazy. I can't believe that <laughs> the time has come. I, I, I certainly would not consider myself the old guy, but uh, then again, I know what it's like to be an incoming freshman uh, wide eyed and just, hanging on for dear life. Yeah, so, and the good news uh, is you're the young guy again in a year, right? Once you get to the next team in the NFL, yeah. you're the young guy again. So it won't last too long. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess that's certainly the hope. Uh, I never want to count my chicks before mm -hmm. they hatch. But, yes, the, the cycle always starts over again at some point. But, uh, no, I mean, there, there's a lot of challenges that come with a younger team. I think um, the luxury at a school like Clemson is that you have the talent. And um, – so that the question is, can we develop the talent? Do guys progress the way they're supposed to? And as an older guy, as a, le as a leader, as a guy who started 13 games and has a lot of experience, what can I do to bring those guys along and ensure that they progress the way they're supposed to? And sometimes I got to be the bad guy. And, and it sucks because, you know, these are my peers and these are the guys that I like hanging around. But at the same time, uh, you know, I have a job to do as well. And as an older guy in a young group, um, sometimes there's a little bit of gray lines between, uh, you know, the coaches and, and the players and, and the older guys and what role they play. So it's, it's been a unique challenge this spring. I was, I had the opportunity to really be in more of a coaching role as I, uh, got healthy, uh, had a minor postseason surgery, but really trying to get healthy for the last go around. And so I was really in a coaching role and trying to bring these young guys along. Uh, but like I said, I mean, the talent's there. Uh, we've got tons of talent. We've got more coming in this summer, but can the guys get it from a mental aspect? And, and like it, it, everything in my opinion comes down to consistency. So how consistent can we get these guys? And, you know, with consistency comes trust. You mentioned this spring being a, a unique challenge. I want to ask about maybe the most unique challenge that anyone has ever faced the 2020 season at large. Um, from the outside people, I think could, could see, 
what everyone was was dealing with on these teams. But I'm curious from from someone who was actually going through these these testing procedures, actually going through these, you know, in some cases canceled games. How taxing was that that COVID season, and how relieved are you to not be dealing with it again this year? <laughs> well, first off, I'm very relieved. Uh, I I recently got my first first vaccination shot, so uh, trying to do my part there, but. Uh, I'll tell you what, um, as somebody who was coming in the last season, um, being my first season as a full-time starter, um, there was a couple times during fall camp where I sat there and took a deep breath and was, I was genuinely concerned, um, with the direction that things were going. I think that, um, sitting in team meetings and going to workouts and, and ultimately practice during fall camp. Um, with <laughs> the thought in the back of your head that we're not going to play any games is um, it's one of the most challenging things I've ever had to go through as a player just because it's like, why why are we going through this? Why are we putting ourselves through this if we're not going to play? And luckily things shook out and, and all, it all worked itself out and we had a great season. But um, So that was the first thing. But also just the – the protocols and the different procedures that we had to abide by every day. And especially when it comes to traveling and, and the different meals and hotels and stuff, it was just such a different experience. Um, I, I told all of these freshmen, I'm like, y'all really don't know what it's like to go through a true season in a normal setting. I think that, Unfortunately for them, that was the normal that they learned. And, and hopefully as they go through their careers, they will figure out what it's like and get to experience all the great things that college football is, like the game day atmospheres and, and all of the, you know, the fans and walking through the tailgates for our Tiger Walk and things like that that we were just missing. And so it really just comes back to who wants to play the game uh, because all of the frou-frou stuff and the, the glory is just – certainly was not as much last year. And as an offensive lineman, it's <laughs> never abundant. But uh, <laughs> last year, you're, you're, you're playing up in Virginia Tech and it's 28 degrees and there's not a fan in the stands. You're going to figure out who wants to be there. Um, so I think there's always a silver lining uh, with challenging times. But I'm certainly uh, looking forward to getting back to some normalcy. Uh, kind of speaking of some normalcy and kind of, you know, looking ahead and, and what's next for you, uh, just for our own curiosity's sake here, you know, um, you were able to play a lot of really talented defensive lines and defensive linemen this year, right? I mean, you had guys on uh, Wake Forest, Miami, Pitt, Notre Dame, Florida State, Ohio State. About half your schedule had defensive linemen drafted to the NFL. Um, was there any particular group you saw this year that was the most difficult to play against? Or, or maybe any guy uh, that you're glad is not going to be on your schedule again next year in 2021? Um. Well, first off, two individual guys, uh, number 41 from Notre Dame. I believe you pronounce his last name, Kynish. Uh, his first name is Kurt. Um, Pittsburgh kid. Yeah. Uh, yes, Pittsburgh. Um, and I actually remember Kurt from the recruiting process, and he and I, you know, touch base after the, game, the tw- two games that we played them. Um, so I'm glad I don't have to go against that kid again this year. Uh, I really respect him as a player, and he certainly – he gave me a hard time. I mean, he's, he's a good player. And he's, he's one of those guys, you look at the film and you might underestimate him, but he's just got that competitive toughness and he's a true football player. I mean, he's a Pittsburgh kid. That, that's what he is. And 
uh, you certainly have to respect that. And then, well, Matt, uh, I, I hate to too. I hate to interrupt you with bad news here, uh, but unfortunately for your younger teammates, his little brother seems like he's about to commit there. So there's another one coming. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, hey, the train keeps on rolling. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but so he was a he was a great competitor, and I really, you know, it was it was humbling to go against a guy like that. Um, I always want to be challenged, and, and sometimes you go into a game and you might think a guy is going to be really good, and you kind of dominate him the entire game and it's kind of almost a letdown but you go into a game like that and you know it's going to be a brawl um and then another guy who really um i would say that i underestimated and he gained my respect quickly is number 72 for the bucks uh tommy Togai. i believe mm-hmm. you say that's how you say that his name um man uh, i think that a lot of attention last year went to haskell garrett and rightfully so i mean he's a he's a talented player as well but um, there's something to be said about Tommy, um, just a real stout guy and, and, uh, you know, a lot more nimble than people would give him credit for as well. And I would, I would almost put, um, Kurt and him in the same category where, you know, they're, they're tough against the run, but they're, like I said, I mean, people underestimate their athleticism and abilities. Um, and so those are two guys late, later on in the season where, they really challenged me. And, and I think looking back at that film is something that I, I can grow on. Um, and, and, you know, I'll be upfront. I wasn't fully healthy towards the end of the season, but I'm never the type of person to, to sit there and give excuses as to why I didn't play as well as I wanted to, or, or this or that. I mean, those guys are two really legitimate players and I really respect the way they play the game. So those are the two guys that pop out in my mind. Um, I remember playing Wake Forest, uh, Boogie Basham, uh, who obviously got drafted recently. Uh, you know, that was our season opener. And I think as a first time full-time starter, I was somewhat worried to go against a guy like that. And I was coming out of that game. I was very pleased with the way I handled, uh, him when I did get the chance to go against him. So, yeah. uh, there's, there's definitely times when you go against a guy who's maybe highly touted and, and you, you surprise yourself and, you know, you get you give yourself the confidence, like, hey, man, I really can do this. There's other times when you go against a guy and you're like, wow, you know, uh, I need to, I need to improve upon that and, and kind of use that tape as a learning experience moving forward. So I really like the opportunity to get a to get to play against top level competition because the reality is that if I want to play at the next level and and hang around, then I'm going to have to play against guys like that every day. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned Kurt and Tommy specifically too, uh, because those are kind of both. Um, shorter interior defensive linemen, right? You know, a lot of guys you see get drafted highly now are these, you know, 6'4", 320-pound behemoths. And, uh, you know, uh, Kurt and Tommy both are, are strong guys, obviously, but they kind of have squatter body types, like you mentioned. And um, it, it's so funny because I think a lot of offensive linemen agree with you that that's a difficult um, body type and style of player to go against. But it seems like they kind of um, don't really get maybe the same recognition in the, in the pro leagues that, that you would expect. Um, which is kind of funny. I don't. I, don't, I guess I don't know why that happens. Um, just an interesting translation from the college game to the pro game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, you see it often. I think you see it in recruiting as well, where there's guys that can legitimately play, and for whatever reason, whether it's their measurables or this or that, or you know, their forty time isn't what they want it to be, they might get overlooked or, or fall in the draft. And then um, they go up to the next level and absolutely kill it. I think the one guy that comes to mind from Clemson is Grady Jarrett, who, uh, you know, he was not Vic Beasley uh, in everyone's minds, but Grady Jarrett is absolutely killing it at the next level. And 
Uh, you see some of these shorter squattier guys. They're hard to get your hands on. They have a great center of gravity and they have a really natural leverage. And, um, you know, I mean, just because somebody's six foot doesn't mean they can't play. For uh, sure. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, no, it's, um, I'm, I've never been one as, as a guy who has never been the, you know, the combine king. Uh, I've never been one to place too much emphasis on measurables. And, and I think that it certainly rings true with guys like that. I think Ohio State defensive line coach Larry Johnson referred to Tommy Togiai as like a fire hydrant last season, which I, <laughs> I think is I think is fair from what I've seen. Um, I, I want to ask you here about the the roster around you, the guys around you in 2021, um, and and some of the people that maybe us on the outside don't see putting in the work and and see starting to shine. Who's the next star that we should be looking out for that people maybe aren't? talking about nationally that you're seeing and thinking, you know, okay, this is, this is a dude, this is somebody who's going to be able to make big plays for us this season. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you asked that question and for whatever reason, I can't help but um, think about a kid, Will Shipley, who just got here mm-hmm. uh, early enrollee, uh, just finished his first semester. But I'll tell you what, man, that kid is an absolute grinder and, if, if there's any kid who's coming out of high school and wants to learn how to get everyone's respect on the team is to put your head down and freaking work. And that kid, I mean, after three weeks, I already knew what he was about. And, and not to mention, he's extremely talented. He's got some, some breakaway speed that might surprise people. Um, and, uh, you might even I call it deceptive speed Matt. specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, hey, you could you could call it that. I, I I wasn't the one who said it, but yeah, no, but uh, man, that, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, but uh, no, I tell you what, man, that kid, I think that he's gonna, you know, it's hard to say, obviously, when you've got a stable of backs who who might break out, but I see a lot of potential in that kid, and I tell you what, I mean, I know just from the, his work ethic that it's gonna pan out for him. And, um, you know, speaking of which, just the entire group of running backs that we have this year, I think will surprise people. I think that everyone's looking at the departure of Travis Etienne and and kind of wondering who's going to be the guy to step up. Um, But they might be overlooking the fact that oftentimes it's not a guy who steps up, it's multiple guys. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have really recognized with our running back group this year we also went through a they kind of shuffled the coaching staff around and so the, the new running backs coach is cj spiller mm. and um obviously people know cj from his playing days and, and what an electric player he was and i think that it's it's been very valuable for those players to kind of get a different perspective um and and i'm i'm really looking forward to the group we have running the ball back there for sure I'm curious as a as an offensive lineman, what's what's the kind of thing that when you see a running back doing it, when you know that a running back is doing this, it, it makes you very happy. It makes your job a lot easier. Running the ball downhill, period. Yeah. <laughs> just just not dancing around, just going. Look, you know, I understand there is there's a time and place for jump cuts and, and things like that and and bouncing it outside and, and cutbacks. And that is that is all a part of what it means to be a running back. But as an offensive lineman, uh, you know, hey, we're not in it for the glory. And, and we, we, we've got a pretty tough job, a very physical job, um, and oftentimes thankless job. And what we want is if we give somebody something, they get it. And the great backs, they'll even get stuff when we don't give it to them. 
So uh, if we can just be complimentary to one another and, uh, you know, the last thing you want is to look back on the film and see a wide open hole and somebody's trying to do too much and, and you know, it's it's a TFL or a small gain when it could have been a home run. Yeah. Um, that That is, is frustrating as an offensive lineman uh, just because we're trying to do our job and, and you know, <laughs> just the nature of the beast. I mean, if there's a TFL, they're, they're not blaming the running back. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, but if we can just work together and help each other out and, and, you know, like I said, I mean, that, that's the one thing I will say about Travis Etienne. There was a lot of plays he made that, uh, we didn't give him much help. Um, and that's, I mean, that's why he was drafted where he is. I mean, he's an electric player and he's got an incredible talent, but, uh, you don't have to be Travis Etienne to be an effective back. If we can just, do what we're supposed to do and read our keys and, and hit the ball where it's supposed to be hit. Um, you know, I think we'll find success. And, and especially uh, as you get, as, as we we're starting to develop some depth with, with some younger guys starting to bring in some bigger bodies. I think that we're really going to see some improvement and, and make some strides where we need to see some improvement from last season. And your next question here, I think, you know, we have to ask you about this. Um, so you, you've obviously had, you know, the offensive line as a whole, just has an incredibly close kind of working relationship with the quarterbacks, you know? Um, and, and I think you specifically have a really unique perspective. Um, you know, you got recruited during the Deshaun Watson era. You played alongside Kelly Bryant and then predominantly, of course, Trevor these last three years. And, and now as a senior, you're going to be anchoring the line for DJ's first year as the full-time starter. Um, so, so I guess what have you seen from kind of Deshaun, Trevor, and DJ? And, and how are they similar and how are they different? And I guess if you could... Just kind of, how do you compare and contrast those guys? Yeah, that's a that is a great question. I think that a lot of people look at somebody who's an elite quarterback and just kind of put them all in one category, and um, that's certainly not the case. I think starting off with the Sean, um, obviously number one, a competitor, and I would say that across the board. I think Deshaun, Trevor, and DJ, um, they are legitimate competitors. And I, and a lot of people would never really thought that about Trevor, but let me tell you, being on the field with the kid, uh, he's mild mannered off the field, but he is a competitor on the field period. Uh, and Deshaun the same way. I mean, I think you look at what Deshaun was able to accomplish and really being the, the key factor in getting this program over the hump and, and securing that first title. I mean, the performance that he put on in that game against Alabama was, uh, I mean, you could literally consider it heroic. I mean, he was literally, he put his body on the line and he was not going to quit until they won. Um, and obviously people love to talk about his mobility and his ability as a runner, but, um, as a passer, I mean, you look at some of these throws he made down the stretch. It is unbelievable to look, to watch the film and see, some of the plays that were made now on the flip side, when it comes to Trevor, uh, he's the prototypical quarterback, you know, he's got, I mean, everything down to the strong jawline, you know, and, uh, <laughs> people want, <laughs> people want to see him sit back there in the pocket and, and throw it 50 yards. But that kid has some wheels, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> Uh, some might say deceptive. Yeah, uh, yeah, we saw but, him. Uh, uh, we saw him dust Baron Browning yeah. in that, in that uh, semifinal game. We're right? hearing it more and more these yeah. days. <laughs> that run to the pylon against Ohio State was incredible. No, I mean, 
I'm saying, man, like that kid could scoot and, and obviously super talented, unbelievably gifted. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, he's the guy that I spent the most time with and really got the closest with. And, and I will never say anything bad about that kid. I have seen him handle all, all of it with poise and, and has never let it get to his head. And he was never disrespectful to anybody who was clearly overstepping their bounds and, and, um, to be put in a situation like that and be the guy ever since you were 15 or 16 years old and back it up is, is pretty much unheard of. Um, you know, I, I, to see someone with that much hype now, obviously he's still got much to prove. He, he's, mm-hmm. he's got a pro career ahead of him, but, but up to this point, he's, he stayed on course. And I think you look at the expectations that have been there for him. I mean, you're talking about like LeBron James type expectations. Um, well, that's and, exactly what came to my head when you said that, Matt. I mean, that's, that's the thing too, is like you said, it's a long way to go in his career, but there is a pattern of guys, you know, great players across a lot of sports, you have LeBron, of course, uh, Sidney Crosby in hockey, right? These guys get recognition when they're in eighth or ninth grade. And then, to, and, you know, like you said, go the whole way to back it up and, and now to hopefully do the same thing in the pro level. I mean, that's a difficult challenge, but it's it's something that I guess guys who are on his level have done across sports before. So I think it's – he. I, I imagine he has to understand, too, kind of the gravity of it because he knows where his place is right now and the expectations are massive, right? Oh, certainly. And, and Trevor, he's a very self-aware person, um, a very humble guy. And, you know, I just really enjoyed spending time with him and, you know, as, as a friend, um, not as, not as a fanboy or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> I, I really liked, um, I just liked getting to know Trevor as the guy. And I know that very few people get the opportunity to do that. And that's why I just, I have so much respect for him because, despite everything that could have gone through his head, it just, it didn't. And he remained the same guy and, and uh, you know, no one's perfect. And, and that's certainly not the case, but, but considering everything that he's had to handle as a young person and the fact that he stayed on course is, is pretty remarkable. Um, and, and moving on to, to DJ, I think that he's had a similar level of hype. And, uh, I mean, let me tell you something about DJ. He is a big person. Uh, <laughs> he's a very large person. <laughs> uh, he, but which is great. I think it's so interesting. You ask this question because each of these guys are, you know, hopefully obviously DJ has got, you know, the most to prove, uh, from a college standpoint, but, but hopefully he, he becomes an elite quarterback as well. But you're talking about three guys who are, uh, potentially, uh, seeing the same level of, of rare air when it comes to college football, but they're so different. Um, but like I said, at the same time, you can look back to certain characteristics that, that they each have in common. And I'll just go back to the competitiveness. I think you look at DJ and the fact that he was thrust into a situation last fall uh, in two pretty legitimate games. And, you know, he came short against, or not he, we came short against Notre Dame. I would never say that because he, he played as good as he could have, but even oh against you, Boston man. College, his, yeah. his 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 first start against Boston College, um, you know, people can say what they want about Boston College, but that's a program that is, is certainly on the come up, and I think they have a really good staff up there, uh, you know, under the uh, former Ohio State guy. But um, just to sit there as a true freshman and understand whose shoes you're you're trying to fill. 
um, with the poise and confidence is really, really rare for an 18 year old kid. Uh, and so as a guy who at the time was a fourth year red shirt junior, um, I'm, I am ready to go to war with DJ. I'll tell you what. And, and even more so now, um, really respect DJ, respect his grind. And, and like I said, obviously super talented, but, um, you know, he's just the type of guy that you want to, you want to do well for you obviously want to protect him and, and go to war with him. So I'm really looking forward to this new era coming up and, and excited to see what he's able to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're on the same page, man. We're all really excited to see him play for a full season and, and see what that looks like because uh, certainly a pretty unique player in his size. And, you know, you don't see many quarterbacks that big and, and really at any level. Uh, I, I remember being just infatuated the first time I saw him out there. I was like, is that a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, he's built like <laughs> Vince Young or like I know, he, he's, <laughs> yeah, he He's big, man. He, he, he is... I'm telling you, he's big. And uh, you kind of touched on it there, that Boston College game, just to kind of get away from the quarterback thing real quick here. Um, we've heard a lot of people say that Halfley defense kind of throws a lot of stuff at the wall, right? It's kind of a unique look compared to what you might get at other places. Uh, now, now, obviously, you go against a defense in practice every day that's very multiple and throws a lot of different looks at you too. But I guess what did you think of that Boston College defense, seeing it and kind of and going through the fire with DJ there? I'll tell you what, man. Um they did a great job against us. And, you know, I think that their philosophy was simple and that's take away what we do best. Um, and which is the inside zone. It's no secret. Clemson runs the inside zone. Um, uh, maybe almost to a fault, but, um, on, against most teams we can, uh, we just, we just, we're better than most teams, but, yeah. but, Boston College did a very unique thing where the the way they positioned their A-gap player, um, the nose guard, they kind of had him tight, shaded on the center and tilted, which made it difficult to to get together on double teams and, and root that guy out of there. And so what that did is either put the guard in a terrible angle trying to root him out of there or, which we eventually adjusted to, was just leave the center one-on-one with him, which um, – to, to put a team in a position where they have to be in one-on-one blocks is certainly advantageous for the defense. So uh, I remember coming out of that game pretty pretty impressed with how they schemed us, and I was shocked that other teams didn't copy them because it did it it, it gave us fits. Um, and let's be honest, I mean they're they're certainly not working with as much talent as a Notre Dame or an Ohio State. And, sure. and I think if you saw if you saw a team that was really talented scheme a team like us like that i think that it would be um it would be tough to match um but at the same time i mean obviously moving forward from that we made our adjustments as well but um i i really came out of that game impressed with their defensive game plan and and i know that this year and and moving forward it's certainly going to be um a tough out i mean that that's that's i think it's kind of switching gears here a little bit, but on that topic, I think it's important to say that a lot of people in college football, but you know, especially let's be honest, the ACC people act like certain games are just gimmies mm-hmm. and that, that Clemson should win and this team sucks and all this stuff. But uh, each team, they, they have 85 scholarship players too. And you know, they, they might not have the recruiting notoriety or this or that, but um it's it's they're they're recruited 
for, for reasons as well. And, and so I think <laughs> it's kind of funny to me when people act, you know, they're, they're frustrated that we didn't beat a team by five touchdowns. Um, when, I mean, they they certainly deserve their respect and, and they, they act like some people act like certain games are just, they're, they're won before anybody steps on the field. And that is certainly not the case. So, um, it's that that is a big thing that I've learned is every every opponent deserves respect. It's, it, whether it's an FCS opponent or or a college football playoff opponent, everybody can walk out there and beat you on 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 any given day. Somebody can beat you, so um, that's why it's critical to to have a great preparation each week and and nothing not let anything carry over, whether it's good or bad. Oh, you said it, man. We've seen it from how many teams jump up and in an ankle bite more talented teams, right? I mean, of course, like the famous examples are, uh, you know, Purdue and Iowa with Ohio State, uh, in those 2017 and 18 games. You have uh, Ole Miss under uh, Hugh Freeze beat Nick Saban. You know, you, you have all these guys that – or all these teams, rather, that, that can certainly jump up and beat um, powerhouse teams. Even even Clemson, you know, lost the pit uh, a little while back and has had regular season trouble with ACC teams. Everyone does it. I mean, there's just no doubt that – if a team has the edge of preparation on you, they can always get you, right? I mean, that's that's a that's a no-doubt thing across all of football. Um, and I just want to throw in there, too, I hope you know, you probably just made Pat's week with that scheme talk there. Uh, that's He could talk about uh, defensive line scheme for hours, so you probably just made his entire week with that little comment there. <laughs> but um, Yeah, well, most, most people could not talk on that level, so that's good to hear. <laughs> for sure, man. Um, and I kind of want to switch gears again here and take this next question kind of all the way back to your recruitment when you were in high school, right? Um, so you touched on it a little bit at the top of the show, um, but I guess the the big question is is why Clemson? You know, you were recruited by a, a ton of major powerhouses. Um, you know, you had uh, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State after you. Uh, obviously, Ohio State, Notre Dame spoke to you as well and, and evaluated you for quite a long time. Um, what was it about Coach Sweeney and just the program in general that led you to Clemson? Well, uh, I'm afraid you've opened Pandora's box here, so I'll try <laughs> to give you an abridged version. But um, Take as long as you want. Really, <laughs> um, it, to be honest and, and pretty candid, I mean, you know, in, in earlier years, I tried to kind of downplay it a little bit, but now that I'm a fifth-year senior, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, really – I was born in Indianapolis, Catholic kid, went to St. X. And so pretty much everybody was telling me that it was my destiny to go to Notre Dame. <laughs> and I, and I believed it, um, heavily. Um, and that was kind of, I was committed in my mind before I ever took a visit. I, I knew that's what I wanted or thought that's what I wanted. I should say. Um, and that was, that was the end goal for me. That was, that was it. I was not, I didn't even consider anywhere else. And obviously I visited other places and, and, you know, started racking up offers and, and, um, Sean Clifford, who was a good friend of mine and still is to this day, was committed to Penn state. And so there was definitely some pressure, um, on that end, but, you know, it came down to the fact that I had visited Notre Dame numerous times in one year and they kind of, um, you know, it just wasn't moving. And, uh, unfortunately it it just wasn't, I I felt personally slighted a little bit. I didn't feel like I was getting told straight answers and, Mm -hmm. and, um, that was frustrating for me. It was a very hard pill to swallow as a, as a junior in high school who had never faced an ounce of adversity in his life. Um, 
I think that that was a very humbling moment for me to sit there and, and ponder the, the idea that I was likely not going to be playing for the Irish. Um, and so that, that kind of what prompted me to look elsewhere. And, um, meanwhile, um, I have an older brother, his name is Jonathan and he played at an FCS school called Furman. Um, and Furman is located in green in Greenville, South Carolina, about 45 minutes from Clemson. Um, and so during this time period, he had just gotten on campus down at Furman and I really knew nothing of the area. I don't even know if I knew where Clemson was, um, to be quite honest with you. I had no idea. This was really before Clemson became what it is today. I think right during this time period was really the first time on a national stage people saw Clemson as Absolutely. it is today. Yeah. Um, and, and so I had, I would go down there and visit my brother for games and, and, um, I think on two different occasions, I popped over to Clemson. Um, there was quite a few connections between the two staffs. Uh, obviously, both Division One programs, but kind of far ends of the spectrum. Um, so they kind of uh, would work together in some instances. And many of the coaches on Clemson staff uh, coached at Furman. Personally, my offensive line coach played at Furman, coached at Furman. Um, so there's quite a bit of connection there. And I visited Clemson and, and I was kind of sour about it the first time I visited because it wasn't Notre Dame. Um, but as I visited and visited a couple times, I, I think I realized like, wow, this place is unlike anything I've ever seen. It is as much as, uh, I enjoyed visiting some of the schools like Penn State, Michigan State, uh, Michigan, Ohio State what I saw in my opinion was a lot of similarity. Uh, they're really big campuses, um, big time state schools with a lot of students. Um, and that's great. And for some people, that's what they want. And, uh, for me, um, which it's so funny now that I look at the fact that I wanted to go to South Bend, Indiana, I hate cold weather. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> And so now that it's like, I'm sitting here thinking like, now that I'm down at Clemson, like I would have hated it there. But, um, but uh, I'm sitting here at, at Clemson visiting and, and it's great weather. There's a lake literally on campus. Um, and the people are, are genuinely nice. And I think the culture of the football program just made me feel welcome. And even though I wasn't a five-star and I wasn't from the area, they just made it seem like they wanted me there. And that was a very refreshing feeling coming off the sort of rejection that I had felt from some of these other schools that uh, didn't pursue me. And, and then, you know, it came down to, I was like, well, I, I know I'm not going to Notre Dame and I don't think I want to go anywhere else. And so I'm going to just go ahead and commit to Clemson. And I never looked back. I never talked to one other college coach. I never spoke to any coaches from Notre Dame or Ohio state after that. Um, I never, I never entertained anybody else and I never looked back and, and probably I, I think I had some, <laughs> I almost had like committed with this ignorant confidence that, that everything was going to go well, just because it was, I didn't know how foreign this this would be to me um just the culture shock of it all and just being far away and it's just completely different than being in ohio and you come down here and nobody knows what it is to go to an all-boys catholic school that is, that is a foreign <laughs> concept to them. um uh so 
But you know what? I came down here and and quickly I realized that that I could find success here and that people respected the way that I carried myself and and the things that I learned at St. X, the the relentless work ethic, the the academic commitment um, is something that Coach Sweeney is makes a huge emphasis of for everybody is to graduate. And I think that is is one of the most critical components of this program because it creates a culture of accountability, not just on the football field. Um, and by the end of my first year at Clemson, I was like, I am so glad I came down here. And I, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, yeah, you know, I'm, it's, I'm sure you are glad you went down there. You're never going <laughs> to tell people that you were miserable, but, uh, but I, I, I say with all honesty, you know, it sounds cliche and, and a lot of people say it, everything happens for a reason, but I, I really believe that. And sitting here you know, four years later, um, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I've had an incredible experience. I will forever be a Clemson Tiger. And, you know, I'll probably stay in the state of South Carolina if we're being honest for the long run. So, um, you know, like I said, I think people looked at me back then and kind of scratched their head as to what I was thinking. And maybe I didn't even know what I was thinking, but uh, everything happens for a reason and, and works out the way it should. And and the experiences that I've been able to have here at Clemson have been more than I could have ever imagined, uh, seriously. And obviously the national championship is something that uh, people will point to. And, and that's that's great. And that's something that I will forever have with me. And nobody could ever take that away from me. But there's so much more than just these rings. I mean, I'm never going to wear one of those rings, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> but the, the friendships that I've had and, and just, just the – you know, it's, it's just, I, I, I feel like this is my home now. And, and I think that's on, on, unfortunately for a lot of people, that's not uh, something that everybody can say, but for me, I, I'm really proud to be a Clemson tiger. And like I said, I would not change it for the world. I'm curious because this is something that we hear a lot on, be it like, you know, college game day segments or, or anything else, the, the talk about the Clemson family and how that's the, the big pitch that, you know, coach Swinney is always talking about that. A lot of the coaches are talking about, what does that tangibly look like in that facility? What does the what does that mean on a day to day basis? The the idea of the Clemson family. How much do coaches? How much do players? How much do support staff? You know, talk about that. What does that What does that mean for you know someone who is actually living that day to day? You know, it's funny as as you ask that question. I'm kind of thinking about um, what it means to me and. And obviously, yes, that is kind of uh, a way that they've branded what it means to be a part of the Clemson experience. And, and for recruits, um, you know, it's a way to label what it is to be a Clemson Tiger. But, uh, you know, as you get here, it's not it's not something that they you know are expressly saying the Clemson family, but it's more of an experience. And I think about um, our offensive line graduate assistant and his wife cooking for the offensive line every month or um, my offensive line coach texting my little brother or my mom on their birthday. Um, or, you know, whenever my family comes in town, they'll bump into coach Swingy and end up talking for 45 minutes. Um, and, and people are known by their names, not just by Matt's dad or Matt's mom. <laughs> um, each, each person is, is, has really made an investment in your development as a person. And, and if you buy in to all of the resources that are available to you as a Clemson football player, 
there is absolutely no reason why you should not be successful. Um, there are so many things that are afforded to us as student athletes here at Clemson that can propel us so much farther ahead of many other people that do not have the opportunity that we have in front of us. And it, it's, it is just something that's hard to explain until you're able to experience it. Um, you know, the president of our university, um, he and I text back and forth and, uh, our athletic director, he and I are on a first name basis. And I, I recognize the fact that that is just not commonplace in big time college athletics. And, and we are incredibly lucky to have the leadership that we do here at Clemson. And, and let's be honest. I mean, it's easy to be happy when everything's going, going great. And, um, you know, does that play a part in all of this? I think I would be naive to say, no, it doesn't. I, I think that everybody's in a better mood when, when people are winning and, and everybody's getting their bonuses and, and it's all great and, and everything like that. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's something that I really truly believe is, is part of what makes this place so special and what makes people want to come back. I mean, I think you look at our staff and we have almost 20 people on our staff that are former players under coach Sweeney. Um, and, and even furthermore, it, the continuity that we have on our staff is almost unheard of in college football. I mean, I, I, to see, um, coach Venables, our defensive coordinator, coach Elliott, our offensive coordinator, the, the the many opportunities that they could have taken at, at the power five level, I mean, legitimate head coach opportunities that they've passed over to remain at Clemson. I think that says it all. Uh, and I was actually with my offensive line coach today and I was trying to recall some of the offensive line coaches that recruited me um, back in the day. And I don't even know if there's a single offensive line coach who recruited me who is still at the same school that they were when they recruited me. Um, and that that's just the nature of college football and, and that's just how it is. But to be at a place like Clemson where that's not the case is, is very special. And I, I never want to take that for granted. So there, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and it's obviously something that I'm very passionate about, but I really truly believe in the mission of this place and the mission of coach Sweeney in this program. That's awesome, man. We really appreciate that answer too. I mean, you go in depth with that is, is pretty illuminating, I think. And certainly um, you hear those things from the outside, but to actually hear someone from the inside, you know, reinforce it is pretty fascinating. And, and to see that it does take place on day to day basis is, is pretty cool and pretty interesting, man. Um, and and so, I guess kind of a, a tough question to follow up on after that conversation, obviously, because you are so happy and, and so uh, satisfied with your Clemson experience. But um, if it wasn't Clemson, who would it have been? You know, is it even possible in your mind to have been somewhere else? I guess where, where do you think you would have ended up if you did not end up in South Carolina? Definitely, definitely Penn State. Um, and I, I, a big part of that, like I said, going back to my close friend, Sean Clifford, mm-hmm. I think that he and I, and to this day, we're, we're very close, but he and I were, were very, very close in high school. And we went through pretty much this entire process together. And I, it's kind of funny that I ended up at the one school that was not um, shared between us. Um, but... Uh, he and I developed a very close relationship. We went through some some tough times together. I mean, I obviously tore my ACL at the opening and and was not able to play my senior season at St. X, and we won state. Um, and so that was a really tough time for me, and, and he was someone that was 
that was there for me. And, and obviously, like I said, when he committed to Penn state early, that kind of put the pressure on me. And, and I know that, um, he's had a, a great experience there as well. So I think if it weren't for Clemson, I probably would have been in happy Valley, uh, which I mean, they've, they've been successful as well. And, and maybe not college football playoff, but they've had their fair share of big wins and, and, you know, some, some near six bowls and, and all that. So, uh, a great program nonetheless. And, and if it weren't for Clemson, then I'd probably, uh, a Nittany Lion. Do you have any, uh, maybe funny or, or, uh, memorable recruiting stories you'd like to share, especially now that you're a little bit further out? Uh, I know you said, uh, especially Notre Dame and Ohio state kind of pursued you and, and kind of teased the offer and never came through with it. Now, obviously you've had a chance to beat those guys a few times and, and kind of get your battles with them. Um, I, I guess what, uh, now that you're, a little bit away from the process. Any, any funny stories you'd like to share? Yeah. You know, obviously there's, there's some things that I would probably um, not, not share, but I just remember <laughs> one instance where there, there was, there was a, a coach who, who had recruited me from a big school and, um, and it was kind of, it's, it was implied like, Hey, if you come to camp and show us that you can play center, uh, you're going to have an offer. And so that summer I, I came and, and played center and, and it was without question the best camp performance I ever had in my entire life. It was, I swear on everything. I did not lose a single rep. Um, it, I, it was, I don't know what, it, what got into me that day, but I was on fire. And <laughs> after that camp performance, after that camp performance, this coach comes up to me and he said, Hey, great job today. We're just not offering guys that are under six foot five. Man. And, uh, and I was like, well, that's funny because I saw on two, four, seven sports that you offered this guy and he's six, four. Um, <laughs> it was the heels. Then, <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah. And then he's like, well, I offered him before I saw him. <laughs> I offered him before I saw him in person. Um, and I was like, well, that's great. But, you know, you just contradicted yourself there, buddy. So um, that was probably the first time I ever had kind of a awkward moment with a coach because I was a little um, I was a little fed up with, with being let on. And um sometimes as a 17 year old kid, you have to learn how to have a tough conversation with somebody who's significantly older than you. And it is not, it is not a comfortable position to be in. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously a slippery slope because you don't want to be, you don't ever want to be the kid who people find to be disrespectful, but at the same time is you don't want to be disrespected. And, um, and so that was something that I learned is, is being able to stand up for yourself and, and, you know, just because somebody's an adult doesn't mean they're doing the right thing. Um, and so that was, I think that I learned that, uh, some of these people that you might idolize or, or want approval from, um, they, they, they might not have their ducks in a row. Like, like you think. So, um, there was, there was definitely a couple conversations like that. Like I said, I mean, I, I it's no secret. I, I felt like sometimes or some schools had, uh, slighted me a little bit and, and I look back now and I, you know, I, I mean, I know that I could play at any school. It doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. and so, but, I, but that's, it is what it is and everything happens for a reason. And, and that's something that gives me confidence. But, 
Uh, it's not like I don't have a chip on my shoulder or anything. Like I said, I mean, that was a long time ago and, and I would not change where I am for anything. So, and I think something that's pretty interesting is, is like you talked about the change of kind of Clemson's program. And as it's elevated to more national profile, um, of course, the game with South Carolina every year is still incredibly important. And that is the, the old school rival for Clemson. But it really seems like uh, Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame have emerged as new rivals for the school, too, and vice versa, right? You know what I mean? Uh, Ohio State, I think, certainly considers Clemson a rival now. I'm sure Notre Dame does. I'm sure Alabama does. Um, those are schools that compete with each other at the highest level of football um, every year. And, you know, right after you kind of, like you said, made an unconventional choice to go down to Clemson from Ohio, um, another Ohio kid, Jackson Carmen, came a year after you. Your, your teammate here just got drafted by the Bengals. Um what I guess was your involvement in kind of helping recruit him, if any? You know, what was your what was your role with Jack and kind of helping land him to Clemson? Yeah, I mean, obviously Jack's his recruitment was much more high profile than mine um, because he was Mister Five Star and <laughs> and all that. And so, uh, and now let's be honest: when I was younger, I was known to ruffle some feathers as well. But Jackson. He'd do that too, uh, and maybe a little bit more, um, a little bit more extreme than, than I. But uh, so, so Jackson, um, you know, he the big thing was people thought he was going to go to Ohio State, and he didn't. I know that I was surprised that he came to Clemson. Um, I I thought for sure he was going to go to Ohio State. I mean, anybody historically, the the number one O lineman in the state has gone to Ohio State. Um, but uh, so that that was interesting, and it was funny because I think when we played Ohio State in 2019, so the 2020 playoff, uh, people were asking Coach Sweeney about Jackson and, and all of that, and, and Coach Sweeney was like, "You do realize there is somebody else from Ohio on our team." <laughs> um, so I appreciate him having my <laughs> I appreciate him having my back on that one. Um, and you've got a third no, one I mean, coming now, was, right? You got Blake Miller coming up to join you soon. I mean, I yes. could be graduated, but you got a third one coming. Yeah, I know, and I know that. I think that when when I decided to come down to Clemson, I think our coaches realized that they did have a chance to get some guys out of Ohio, and. Uh, and so now they they do actively recruit Ohio. Back when I was getting recruited, they they really only kind of found out about me and extended an offer to me because of the connections with my brother and Furman. Um, but now that we've had a couple guys and, and had some guys that have seen some success, uh, I think they, they realize it's a worthwhile endeavor. Um, but Jackson, I mean, incredibly talented kid and and was really happy to see him get drafted, especially by the hometown team. That that's a That's a pretty special experience, but – Jackson and I played on the left side um, next to each other. And, and uh, you know, we're kind of like brothers. We don't always get along, but uh, we always have each other's back. So um, that was, uh, I think that's just so crazy to think about how two kids from Cincinnati, Ohio, 20 minutes apart, come down to the upstate of South Carolina and uh, are playing right next to each other. So uh, that's just, that, that just goes to show you how special college football is. And, and, um, yeah, but I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there with too with with the uh, the rival thing. I mean, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, South Carolina has not seen its best years football wise uh, as of late, yeah. and so that that rivalry is not quite as 
intense as it might have used to be. And so now we're seeing these teams, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, consistently on the national stage. And obviously with those games, there's a lot more at stake. So that's why I think those those teams have found Clemson to be a rival. And, and absolutely, I think we have that same attitude towards them because the games are exciting and we know that it's going to be a battle and and the better team will win uh and and there's a lot at stake for those games so it's been fun and it's pretty unique to be able to have rivals that are outside your conference because you're part of a program that's consistently at the top yeah you know i promise this is my last question about another school but uh i do i am curious to ask you this uh we saw in that in that playoff game this year uh justin hilliard a former teammate of yours you and him got pretty chippy at one moment there, it seemed like. I, I know you guys have known each other for a long time and, and probably have a friendly relationship, but, uh, you know, what was that experience like, kind of playing against him on the biggest stage? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you want to share – I'm sure you don't want to share any words from that exchange. I don't know if we can repeat them on the pod, but, um, you know, what was that experience like, <laughs> kind of getting to go head-to-head with Justin and kind of how, how was that uh, – what was the feelings there? <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome. I'll tell you what, to get the opportunity <laughs> to play against somebody uh, that you went to high school with is not an experience that many get to get. And uh, especially on that level. And oh man, I was fired up for that game. Um, and Justin, I mean, he's like my big brother and I had to give him a hard time. Sure. Uh, but yeah, we won't repeat those words. <laughs> uh, but uh but man, I was I was so happy for Justin just for, with all the adversity that she, that he's faced, and for him to finish his career the way he did is is really remarkable. And then you know, obviously he didn't get drafted, but I think that he's he's squarely in a position to make a roster and, and have a good career at the next level. So yeah, we're right with you there, so, Justin. Um, Justin was always a so great yeah, guy. But it, and, yeah, uh, we have, now that he's kind of through the worst of these injuries, we think it's. I'm really excited to see him. Uh, See him, like you said, keep growing as a player and play at the next level. It's going to be fun to see him healthy fully. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity. I guess that was really the first opportunity I've ever had to play against a former high school teammate, like actually against them. Uh, another one of my former high school teammates, Ben Glines, was a running back at Boston College. So it was great to be able to see him after the game and stuff. But we weren't obviously directly competing against one another. Um but probably the number one experience I ever had uh, in that regard, um, we played Furman my redshirt freshman year, mm. um, our season opener, and it was my my older brother's last season. And uh, on on the last couple plays of the game, they put him in at D line, uh, and I got to play against my brother. Oh, that's awesome! Um, and and uh, in Death Valley, and so that was something that I think for my parents and and all of my family that were there that day is is. Uh, the culmination of a lot of sacrifices, a lot of hard work and a lot of hours in the car. Um, and so to be able to do that, and especially, like I said, for my parents to be able to see that was, was a very special moment. And that those, those are the type of things that make college football so special. Matt, we've got one more here and then we, we've taken enough of your time. So we will let you go, but I want to ask you, um, about the, this is, uh, this has been a hot topic this off season playoff expansion. I want to hear a player's thoughts on this, especially, alignment at a school that would be in an extent in an extended playoff and someone who is is dealing with the sort of physicality of the sport how do you what do you think about that what do you think about an eight-team playoff about playing more somehow more games than you're already playing 
You know, it, it's it's. I guess it's a topic that I haven't given much consideration. I think the number one con- concern on my part is definitely the increased number of games. Um, and a lot of people will point to the fact that the NFL plays more games. And, yes, they do. And NFL players get compensated very well. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and that is an entirely different conversation that we could have on another day. But um, the point being is that, as an offensive lineman who played, I don't know how many snaps, well over a thousand snaps. No, maybe not. Probably, let's say. Clemson actually had day. it on your page. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I'll pull it up. They actually had it at the top of your uh, your profile page there. Uh, you have played 1,352 career snaps, man. <laughs> there you go. So uh, whatever that means. But um, but I mean. I think my last year as a full-time starter, I really, really first got my um, – I first experienced what it felt like to play a lot of snaps. And you're talking about dislocated fingers, sprained ankles, shoulders, knees. I mean, I've had four knee surgeries. Um, and I've had two reconstructive nose surgeries. Um And so you're talking about a lot of wear and tear on the body. And so what – when you talk about an expanded playoff and an, an, another game for players that, um, you know, aren't necessarily being paid, which like I said, is a different conversation. Um, I don't know. I mean, I understand the frustration maybe of a, a conference champ, one loss conference champ who isn't getting in the playoff. Um, but at the same time, I think you've seen some of these teams maybe on the West coast, I'm not going to name names, but they do get into the playoff and they get absolutely smoked. So, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, it's a noble idea. I think that it's, I'm, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had there, but something's got to give. I mean, you talk about playing 16 games, you're really getting up there. Uh, 15 is, is more than historically for college, but obviously we've been able to make it work, but, I just don't know from a schedule standpoint uh, where that fits in. I don't think you can necessarily push that the season any farther into January because now you're talking about the guys that are going to the draft process. Okay, well, do they even have any time to prepare for the combine? Do they get to go to the senior bowl? All of these things that aren't necessarily questions to be asked at the NFL level. So there's a lot of moving parts. That's what I've learned. Um a lot of these things at the collegiate level, uh, especially last year, I think I learned a lot when I was on a committee for the ACC, um, talking with the commissioner about different COVID protocols. I think I learned with that, that there is a lot of moving parts um, that go into decisions that a lot of people might not consider um, because they just kind of take it at face value. Uh, But there's different things that affect other things. So, I don't know what my opinion on that is. Uh, you, you would love to see people get opportunities and you always want to be in an environment that people can compete. I mean, that's what athletics is about is about competition and, and who's the best. But at the same point, at the same time, I think it's fair to ask the question if an 18 playoff is necessary, uh, if you might just end up seeing a team out of the top four win every year anyways. Awesome, man. That was a really well thought answer, well thought out answer. We appreciate uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, not just in the playoff, but on all these questions. Um, it was great having you on, and um, 
you know, we want to wish you the best of luck as you recover from your surgery here and get ready for your final ride, your senior season. And, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you again after that season wraps up and as you're getting ready for the next level too. And, and we just wish you the best of luck this year. And thanks again so much, man. Absolutely guys. And I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. And, and like I said, or like you said, if we can get the opportunity to touch base in the near future, I would love to do so. Awesome, man. We're going to take a quick little break here now that we are uh, done with our, our very long interview with, with Matt. Thanks again to, to him for, for helping us out and, and taking the time with us. Uh, we're going to, like I said, take a quick little break, going to do a little musical interlude, and then we're going to talk about something that is so far in our real house that it's like they served it up right on a platter for us, the Pac-12 Commission. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back from break now. Um, Ryan, you we were so restrained for the first hour, so now we get to talk about the Pac-12 That's commissioner. Right. Um, what is what is going on here? All right, so uh, the quick rundown, in case you guys are not following this, and first of all, what kind of sicker listens to this podcast and doesn't follow? Yeah, if you didn't hires? know about this, you're in the wrong place. The Pac-12 has hired the MGM Resorts executive George Kliovkov. We believe it's nailed it. Kliovkov. Bang. <laughs> he is the new conference commissioner replacing Larry Scott. Um, his current role is he's the, he's the executive of MGM Resorts International. Uh, he's been there since 2018. Uh, his sports background, for the most part, uh, he worked for the WNBA's Board of Governors a while ago. Uh, he worked for Bet MGM at one point, but mostly people know him from running. Um, BAM or ML BAM as it's now currently known, which is a uh, major league baseball advanced media. Okay. Um, basically what that does is it runs the major league baseball websites and it also has like a, a bunch of video broadcasts of a lot of games. Um, it also apparently the part that's interesting here is it helps set up the back end infrastructure, uh, according to, I'm um, directly reading from the Wikipedia page here. Um, for WWE Network, watch ESPN, ESPN3, HBO Now, and the PGA Tour Live. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that having been said, this hire sucks, right? Yeah, it's silly. He's yeah. like not a commissioner. He's just <laughs> yeah. some guy. They looked at it. Okay, here's our problem with Larry Scott, right? He had no relationship with any athletic directors or university presidents. Mm-hmm. He had never worked in college athletics so, at any major level. Uh, but he does have a pretty interesting background in some weird media stuff in other <laughs> leagues. So what are we going to do? We're going to hire that guy again. He's <laughs> the same guy. Now we spent a decade really fucking up completely. Sorry, messing up. This is a this is a profanity free podcast. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Matt, if you're listening to this part too. Uh, uh, messing up and. Uh, you know, uh, now they're just going to keep doing it, right? They're just going to keep getting worse. They're going to fall further out of relevancy. They're going to keep being bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume, right? Like, this, they're probably going to try some new TV thing. I, I don't imagine that that'll fix it, right? It'll be mm-hmm. something else that it's silly and kind of half-baked. And Yeah, Bruce Feldman reported that he has some relationship with Hulu they're going to pursue, great. I guess. So. Yeah, great. That'll be good. Yeah. 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 You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this before. There was a few commercials, but... Uh, Hulu does have live sports. Uh, we're hearing it more and more these <laughs> days, folks. We're, we're, we're hearing it. The Pac-12 has has launched a member a partnership with Baker Mayfield. 
the number one spokesman for the, for the Pac-12. Yeah. When you have the chance to hook up with the 15th best quarterback in the NFL, you have to take it. 15th, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear you talk. I don't want to hear you talk about that. I've seen your quarterback. Yeah, yeah. He's no Mason Rudolph. But anyway, um, yeah, look, I mean, the Pac-12 has a real problem with the relevancy. They, they have a bad TV deal. Um, they waste money on a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, and, and you're hiring a guy to trim in excess who works in Vegas. You want the casino man to trim in your excess spending. Yeah. That's your plan. <laughs> I did see to, to help trim excess spending, we've hired Donald Trump as our commissioner. Yeah, he's, his plan is to increase revenue is to put slot machines in all the stadiums. <laughs> we've, got, we've got a gold sign out front now. <laughs> um, I did see someone make a joke, and I wish I could attribute this on Twitter because I, I would like to, but I really did forget who, who said it. But, uh, they pointed out that Larry Scott, one of the things that got him in trouble, besides the insane rent for their San Francisco office, was renting a like twelve thousand dollars suite in Vegas multiple yeah. times. So the now they don't time. even have to rent it, and yeah. now they get a discount. Yeah, yeah, it's free real estate. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, the obvious problem the Pac-12 has. We talked about this. Uh, they don't have a good TV deal. They're due to renegotiate their TV deal, and it seems like no one major wants to pay what they want to get mm-hmm. because they don't have any consistent brands in the conference. USC has not been consistent. Uh, Oregon, I guess, is the most consistent one they have. Uh, UCLA sucks. Um, Cal and Stanford have sucked for a little while now. Washington's just boring and not as good as they used to be under Chris Peterson. Um, that's the whole conference. Yeah, yeah. You got Herm. <laughs> you got Herm Edwards. I guess you got Kyle Whittingham doing Kyle Whittingham things, uh, which everyone's really excited about. Uh, you know, Iowa of the West. Yeah, we uh, all love Iowa of the West. Um, but I mean, yeah, man, it's it's a tough situation. It's a bad hire. I just like you really couldn't get anyone with any kind of college sports experience. Yeah, anyone. Yeah, nobody. No, I mean, I would have done it, but I, I don't know if it, <laughs> I don't I mean, know if I'm qualified enough. Like there has to be someone who would have taken the job. Yeah, I, this almost <laughs> seems to this almost seems to signal to me that like. Like with a lot of sports right now, maybe the Pac-12 is looking to expand further into Vegas than it already has, right? Because they have someone now who has those ties. Yeah, but what does that look like? I don't know, man. I don't Are know. Are going to move Arizona to Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it means like we're bringing UNLV into the conference, right? Which like I'd be in favor of because I like weird things, but I don't really know if UNLV is the kind of program that could merit that. I, I don't know if it's if this just means like every Pac-12 event is going to be held in Las Vegas now. Um, it, it seems like this is an area that leagues want to be in more. It sounds like this is where the athletics are going to go in baseball. This is obviously already where the, the Raiders have gone. The, um, the hockey team, Golden Knights are there. Mm-hmm. It, this Nailed is, it. yeah, this, this is an area that is, you know, growing and, uh, it's essentially just service workers that live there, but like it right. is, there are still people that are living there and more and more people living there and they do produce children who play football and watch mm-hmm. football and things like that but did you um did you read about that uh situation with the uh, the company towns in nevada no uh where there's like several uh oh, incorporated towns in nevada yeah. that are just they're they're establishing like company towns where corporations just have their own like police services yeah. and they collect taxes which is insane guys we weren't uh, joking when we said that the, the pac-12 the only way it comes back is if amazon towns start producing more talent that wasn't mm-hmm. a joke that's yeah, a real they might thing just like have you know, Pac-12 City is going to be a place yeah. in Nevada now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if that gets them out of San Francisco, it might be yeah, worth it. Yeah, not the worst thing in the world. There um, is at least land out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess, what do we think the plan is here? What is, he's going to, it seems like this entire hire 
if you look at his background, look at what he does, what his what his experience is with, it's pursuing internet media and streaming media, right? Yeah. Which means he's going to try to get a deal that inco- that includes the Pac-12 network, of course, but gets a, some kind of streaming deal with Hulu or Apple or Amazon, whoever it may be, right? That's that's the plan here. Yeah. It? Do you agree with that? Yeah. It's it, something it, that makes sense. It seems like what they're trying to do here is that they know that they missed last time and they know they can't really afford to miss again, but they... And like I can't really blame them for this. They can't. They know that they can't really go with a safe option because they're screwed if they don't hit here. And I don't think that just being conservative is going to save them, right? Yeah, but but here's the problem: is your whole the whole issue of the Pac-12 network is not like that it's not well produced enough. You know what I mean? The problem with the Pac-12 network is not enough people can watch it. If you don't live in California, Washington, or Oregon, you don't get the Pac-12 network. Yeah, or at least like. You know, you have to get it through some app on your Xbox through Fox and try to watch it that way. But like, how does this help that you're just now you're going to like the streaming wars where you're just hoping whatever 20% of the population has Hulu is going to be willing to watch your games or yeah. you're going to convince recruits to buy Hulu to watch you or whatever <laughs> it may be. Like, it just seems like it's the exact same issue just with a little more money thrown at it. Yeah, telling a five star receiver in Texas, like, now listen, I know it's twelve ninety nine a month, but come on. <laughs> it come comes on. with ESPN Plus, yeah. too. Don't dude. you want to see Arizona State, Utah? And look, like, the no. Disney Plus catalog's awesome. It's a really good deal. <laughs> we heard. <laughs> We heard you like Moana. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's just um, the only path here is you have to have a national TV deal network. You have to do it. I'm sorry. You have yeah. to be on Fox, CBS, ESPN, NBC, uh, or I guess I already said ESPN with ABC, but you have to be on the big four networks. Like, yeah. you got to do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but it's the deal. Um what do we think? What are, what are our thoughts on the long-term aspects of this? I mean, like, we already know USC is starting to leave the conference. The deal's not good enough. Uh, are they just going to pull the rug out from under Pac-12 here now? I think it seems likely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the the long-term... The, the long suck. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look good. It's like, I think the Pac-12 is trying to, to try, you know, it's trying to catch lightning in a bottle. It's trying to get ahead of something before everyone else does. I just don't think it's going to be the thing, right? I don't think that digital streaming is quite the, the thing that they think it is, right? Because most people don't watch things on their phone it's bad it's bad to watch things on your phone and it's it's hard to do and you know like we like what you said as the streaming services become more and more like there's more investment in this there's more of them more people have different kinds of streaming services right. you're just never going to get the kind of market share that you need by going all in with a hulu or a netflix or a whatever it is you you have to be on tv cuz people still have even if it's you know cord cutting TV they still have digital antenna TV yeah Yeah. they they still have TV they're still watching ABC and I I, like I I don't know what that would people didn't watch the NFL games that were on Twitter because it's hard to do it's you don't want to have to do you want to watch it on the TV that has the channels because then you can go and you know where the channels are right like it's pretty simple I just I, I think that they are betting on something that is either years and years and years away, much more time than the Pac-12 has, or just a, a silly idea in the first place and something that actual people aren't interested in, just a, a market, you know, like a, uh, you know, a, a, a boardroom idea that doesn't actually translate to real people. It, it seems like a cash grab up front over long-term strategy, right? It could be, And that's yeah. the only way, like, I guess the question to, that I'm curious about is, how much more money do they have to get over the standard deal that the other conferences will get to make this worth it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do they have to get um, double what the ACC gets in per school per year to make it uh, financially worth it to be with a streaming service? Like, will they pay that much money for the Pac-12? Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Like, who's going to pay that much? Yeah, are you closing that gap with the Hulu money? 
I, are you really? I yeah. don't think you are. I mean, they really should just be following what the ACC does at this point. The ACC has locked up their schools, right? They have yeah. at least two good um, products like with, with Clemson and Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, and Miami and, you know, those schools rotate through. They're good enough most of the time. Uh, you just have to, <laughs> first of all, hire someone good at USC. First order for Klyovkov, <laughs> kick out <laughs> Clay Helton, get a good hire at USC, uh, keep uh, Mario Cristobal at all costs at Oregon. Uh, he did say that. Um, uh, he did say that he. Uh, where's going with this? Oh, so that, that he knows where his bread is buttered. It was the exact quote. Uh, yeah. We know where our bread is buttered. You know, we're focused on revenue generating sports, men's basketball, and football. Yeah. He didn't say football first though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of a bummer. I just think this this leads to our four conference super conference we talked about. Yeah. It just seems inevitable. The Big Twelve and the Big Ten are going to eat the Pac twelve. Yeah. R. I. P. Yeah. Get it out of here. Klievkov. Hope you have a great time. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna. How about you, Mister Gorbachev? Huh? How about that? We're gonna tear down that Pac twelve wall. <laughs> All right. We're getting out of here. Thank you so uh, much for checking out flipping the field. Okay. Okay. football podcast about all of college football if you enjoy the show please be sure to leave a five star review on apple podcast and tell your friends this would be a great one to to recommend to others if you if you want you know yeah we were normal on this we one. were normal on this one and uh matt was great and, yeah, and it's again, uh we, we don't want to we don't want to waste such a great interview and and uh you know there there were uh <laughs> i think there's a lot of really good stuff in here so yeah. if, if you have someone who is you know, interested in football of any kind, interested in Clemson football, whatever it might be. Um, we would really appreciate it if you share this with them, if you let them know, hey, a starting Clemson offensive lineman talked for an hour on a podcast. Like yeah. that's not something that happens a whole lot at these major schools. And um, we were very excited about that. And uh, yeah, it, it just we would appreciate it a lot. Yeah. And if you guys like that kind of content too, let us know. Um, you know, we're pretty fortunate to have some good relationships with, uh, with some players out there and some coaches that we'd yeah. love to get in the podcast in the future. So if you guys enjoy Matt and the time he spent with us, um, please give us a heads up and we'll be sure to kind of keep working on more content like that in the future. Um, but in the meantime, we will be back to your regularly scheduled G5 football obsession next yeah. week. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about the Sun Belt next week. Yes, sir. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed this, and we will talk to you soon, right? Yeah, yeah, we will. And uh, yeah, Kansas SID, if you're listening, you know what to do. You know where to find us. <laughs> Patrick.Mayhorn at gmail.com. Patrick.Mayhorn at gmail.com. Patrick.Mayhorn at gmail.com. One more time. Kansas SID. It's Patrick.Mayhorn at gmail.com. You know what to do. Don't um, email him. No. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, where can people find you? I am at Patrick.Mayhorn at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, I, am, I am also at Patrick.Mayhorn at gmail.com. I am uh, at B1G underscore Ryan. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter where I will promise to be nice mm-hmm. for a little bit. Totally. I'm at Patrick underscore Mayhorn and Patrick.Mayhorn at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> my right is the is at the my writing is at the outside zone newsletter on substack available three times a week for five dollars a month um ryan i'll talk to you next week see you bud.